Welcome to Legal Toolkit, bringing you the latest legal trends and business initiatives to help you manage your law firm. With your host, Jared Correa. You're listening to Legal Talk Network. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to yet another episode of the award-winning Legal Toolkit podcast, only on the Legal Talk Network. If you were looking for a rabbit in a hat with a bat and a 6'4 Impala, you want Skilo, not me. If you're a returning listener, welcome back. If you're a first-time listener, welcome home. And if you're the U.S. Olympic team, you've got some more time on your hands this summer than you usually do. As always, I'm your show host, Jared Correa. And in addition to casting this pod, I'm the CEO of Red Cave Law Firm Consulting, which offers subscription-based law practice management consulting services for law firms, bar associations, and legal vendors. Check us out at redcavelegal.com. I'm also the COO of Gideon Software, Inc., which offers chatbot services, uh, software built specifically for law firms. Find out more at www.gideon.legal. But here on the Legal Toolkit podcast, we provide you with a new tool each episode to add to your own legal toolkit so your practices will become more and more like best practices. In this episode, we're going to talk about a highly relevant subject, which I've talked to a number of law firms about, that is PPP loans issuing out of the CARES Act. But before I introduce today's guest, let's take a moment to thank our sponsors. We would like to thank Alert Communications for sponsoring this podcast. If any law firm is looking for call, intake, or retainer services available 24-7, 365, just call 866-827-5568. Scorpion is the leading provider of marketing solutions for the legal industry. With nearly 20 years of experience serving attorneys, Scorpion can help grow your practice. Learn more at scorpionlegal.com. Abby Connect has delivered premium live receptionist and answering services to lawyers since 2006. You can try them out for free at abbyconnect.com. TimeSolve is the number one web-based time and billing software for lawyers. Providing solutions since 1999, TimeSolve provides the most comprehensive billing features for law firms big and small. www.timesolve.com. All right. Now that we've done the uh, messaging, my guest today is Steve Lando, who is a tax partner at Anchin and is the tax leader of the firm's services group, including its law firms group. So that fits in nicely with the subject of this show, right? Um, Steve, thanks for coming on today. Anything you want to add to the brief bio I just provided? Yeah. So just, you know, number one, because I'm sure a lot of people out there may not be familiar with the firm, notwithstanding we've been around since 1923. We're probably about 400 people, about 95% here in New York City and the other 5% in our satellite office in India. Really six core focus areas, let's call it, notwithstanding it's middle market companies and individuals that we work with, but basically private client, real estate, financial services, consumer products, AEC, architects, engineers, and construction, as well as our services group. Currently, I'm the tax chair for the services group, which includes our law firm practice, our PR, media, and advertising, as well as technology practices. I was actually the founding member or one of the founding members of our law firm group, and I've co-led the group, at least on the tax side, with our co-managing partner, Roshinsky, for about the last 15 years. We've built out this group pretty well. It's probably not only a dedicated staff, but probably close to two dozen law firms, which are local, national, as well as international, anywhere from a handful of partners, shareholders, up to perhaps 150. 
And it's a little bit different because the group handles probably about 25% of the practice is PCs, not partnerships. So yep. it's an interesting mix of clientele that we get. And it was funny when the group was founded and I went to my first meeting and it was three of the firm's four executive partners, a senior audit partner and myself, who was a young manager. And I was kind of like, what the heck am I doing here? I said, oh, <laughs> four senior guys, they need someone to take minutes. But <laughs> that's how it goes. Yeah, Pay your dues. But, I, but I've actually now been with the firm over 30 years, which, wow. you know, for some people that may, you know, seem large. But, you know, considering the fact that I started when I was 10 and they were paying me an allowance, really not <laughs> as big a deal. You get your gold watch yet? Or is that uh, coming? No, no, no. We get that after 50 years. <laughs> <laughs> and 100 years established. That's pretty impressive. So you've gone basically from like, one pandemic to the next. Yeah, really. And here we are. <laughs> Close. I, I think we actually skipped the 1918 pandemic. But <laughs> <laughs> Just missed it. Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah, let me, um, let me talk briefly about a subject that I know is near to your heart, right? So you're not a New Jersey guy, but you're at least New Jersey adjacent yes. in New York. I always like to start with an icebreaker questions. So you've got some Bruce Springsteen stories you can share with me, right? Yeah, uh, you heard that rumor, huh? I did, yes. For public consumption only. <laughs> okay. So so just a, a couple of quick things. First, the first two albums that I ever bought of Bruce, Greetings, as well as The Wild, The Innocent. Mm -hmm. And I remember listening to Greetings and not liking it and huh. put it down for years and pulled it out to make a recording for a friend of mine. And today, it's still my favorite Bruce album, containing still my favorite <laughs> song, okay? Oh, what, what's your favorite song? My favorite song share? is Spirits in the Night. Okay, fair. So choice. I moved into the city very young because notwithstanding too much older sisters, my parents mm -hmm. waited for me to graduate college. And the day after I graduated, they were gone. <laughs> okay, So I moved, <laughs> I moved, retired to Florida. So I moved into the city and actually... Bruce's future wife, Patty, was one of my neighbors. Oh, funny. Yes. Wow. And meanwhile, <laughs> after, you know, I hadn't, hadn't ever met the band, though I've been to close to 2,000 concerts, but about three oh, years. Oh, wow. Yeah, but yeah. about three years ago, one of my first cousins once removed married one of the daughters of an East Street band member. <laughs> so Bruce and the East Street Band were all at the wedding, including Bruce, who came in. He he wanted not to be an issue, so he came in right before the ceremony started and sat down mm. directly in front of me. So it was kind oh, of cool funny. after all these years <laughs> to actually be in the same you know playground, so to speak, you know, at a wedding yeah. event with with him and the East Street Band. I got to tell you, I took a total shot in the dark when I formatted this question for us, but I'd like to think it worked out pretty well. Uh, like, hopefully it did. <laughs> I got three stories for the price of one. Exactly. Um, all right. You ready to make the sponsors happy? Let's talk sure. about law. By all means. <laughs> so I think most folks at this point, especially those who are listening to the show, are familiar with the Paycheck Protection Program or the PPP, which is offered through this Federal Coronavirus Relief Act, which is otherwise known as the CARES Act. Can you kind of set the stage for us a little bit for those who don't know briefly, like what is PPP? How does it relate to the CARES Act? And then we'll use that as a jumping off point. Yeah, sure thing. So, and first I want to give a warning to the audience. If you've got little children in the household, 
try to refrain from using the PPP acronym because it just sets off an entire giggle <laughs> fest if you're on the phone. Okay. That's good to know. Yes, good, exactly. good tip. That's a pro tip right there from a tax advisor. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, if, if you think about it, let's sort of, you know, historically, the month of March, basically from March 1st until March 20th, the stock market dropped about 30%. The pandemic was, you know, moving forward at quite a brisk clip in the United States. Mm -hmm. Everybody was concerned. And basically what Congress wanted to do was put together a stimulus package. And the stimulus package ultimately took the form of the CARES Act, approximately 875 pages of legislation containing about 190 sections thereabouts of which the payroll protection program constitutes two. One being, <laughs> well, it's it, it, if you think about it, though. Hey, easy to read, right? <laughs> well, uh, you know, when, when you think about an 875-page piece of legislation put together in a week, understand what you're dealing with, okay? <laughs> right. Okay. Right. So, you know, it, it could have been like, you know, they just split up all the members of Congress and said, here's two cocktail napkins apiece. Okay, write something. <laughs> so right. the two sections, basically the first one dealing with the process of applying for the loan, and then the second one ultimately dealing with the forgiveness. And yep. we basically, you know, we had a legislation drop on March 27th and over the next three plus months, basically Treasury and the SBA has been putting out guidance to interpret, you know, the some 50, 60 pages relevant to the PPP program. Right. So let's talk a little bit about the logistics. Um, I want to save the discussion of forgiveness for later in the show. Yep. So that's a tease. Don't leave the podcast before you hear about that, everybody. But um, in terms of like the logistics of application, like how does that look? Is it easy for businesses to apply? Like what are the basics of that? If you can go into that a little bit. Sure. On, you know, the applications themselves, I believe one of the major banks was the first one to actually get their act together to have an application online, which was April 3rd. So mm. basically a week following, you know, the dropping of the legislation. Now, yep. notwithstanding the application came up April 3rd, they actually couldn't process anything until probably a week later. And other banks, you know, started to follow suit. But right. there were just so many questions because, again, you have bare bones legislation hastily written that just so much guidance was necessary and so many questions needed to be answered because, let's face it, People were truly fearful as to where they saw their businesses going. Right. And these were, you know, what could be, and not just for law firms, but even think restaurants. This could mean the difference between staying in business and going out of business. Yeah, I think that was true of some law firms as well. I oh, yeah. No, to, no question doubt, about Especially it. smaller firms. So given that context, right, that like it was a very touchy time in the history of the country's economy. Are there still legitimate reasons or were there still legitimate reasons for businesses to opt out of the program and not take a PPP loan? Right. Let's first talk about what really the intent was. Yep. And the intent was to be able to take this loan and avoid laying off employees and cutting back salaries drastically. OK. Mm -hmm. And if you think about, you know, Congress putting this through, keep in mind, if you're able to keep people employed, 
you're certainly making the unemployment numbers look much better, okay? <laughs> right. I see what's happening here. Right. So when this originally got proposed, it was funded with $349 billion, billion. And yet there was an unmitigated panic with regard to a rush to the gate to get that money before it expired. Mm-hmm. And Fortunately, they wound up, notwithstanding how quickly they burned through the $349 billion, they subsequently added another $310 billion to the program. Mm. And as of today, what's amazing is there is still approximately $130 billion, oh, wow. which has not yet been claimed. <laughs> and keep in mind, there were companies, a lot of them which made the public, you know, newspapers yeah. saying that, you know, here were these major companies, public companies, et cetera, who took these large loans and people were aghast and they ultimately wound up giving back that money. So as of today, there's still $130 billion left. There is still time to even apply for the loan because it will end the beginning of August. I believe that's August 3rd. But there has been discussion of extending that date and also trying to additionally prop up businesses that need further propping up. And Congress is meeting on that currently right now. What a timely show. We're going to, so that notion about public disclosure, we're going to talk about that after the break. So let's take our first break as we've reached the end of the first part of our show. Let me draw your attention to some more words from our sponsors, and we'll be right back. As the largest legal-only call center in the U.S., Alert Communications helps law firms and legal marketing agencies with new client intake. Alert captures and responds to all leads 24-7, 365 as an extension of your firm in both Spanish and English. Alert uses proven intake methods, customizing responses as needed, which earns the trust of clients and improves client retention. To find out how Alert can help your law office, call 866-827-5568 or visit alertcommunications.com slash LTN. Imagine billing day being the happiest day of the month instead of the day you dread. Nobody went to law school because they love drafting invoices for clients. At TimeSolve, our attorneys save on average over eight hours a month in billing work. That means more billable time and turning billing day into happy day. Learn more about how to get to your time and billing happy place at timesolve.com. That's www.timesolv, leave off the e.com. Remember, that's timesolv.com. All right, thanks for coming back, everybody. I've returned from eating second breakfast because that's what you do in a quarantine. So let's get back to our conversation with Steve Lando of Anchin. We're talking about the PPP loans. All right, so Steve, before we took a break, you were talking a little bit about these public disclosures in terms of the PPP loans. Yep. So one reason that was cited for companies that didn't want to take the loans was this potential for public disclosure yeah. of the fact of they're taking the loans, which obviously like can be damaging to a brand, especially for a large business. And that's come to pass recently. Yes. So can you talk a little bit about how that happened? Yeah. So let's let's talk about, you know, law firms obviously is our focal point here. Yep. So notwithstanding, we always knew that this possibility existed, number one. 
But also, you know, there was a release, I believe, in the New York Law Journal or, or the AMLA that yep. basically indicated, you know, as to firms taking these loans. Now, those are trade publications, right? But now from the point of view, I think it was the beginning of July that the SBA announced what information they were actually going to start releasing. And the information that's now available is basically you can get the name of the firm, their address, their EIN number, their NIACS code, which, you know, not a big deal, certain yep. demographic data, which is included in the forgiveness applications, certain nonprofit information, who the bank was, what the number of jobs were that were supported along with certain other details. But as far as the loan amount, Jared, interestingly enough, they're not giving specificity as to the loan. They're giving ranges. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So for any loan, first of all, above 150000 is where that full disclosure starts. And those okay. tranches are, you fall into a bucket. The bucket being 150,000 to 350,000, 350,000 up to a million, a million to 2 million, 2 million to 5 million, 5 million to 10 million. And if it's below 150,000, which ultimately the average loan size did come out to be, basically what they're doing is they're excluding the name and address of the company. That makes sense. And I'm guessing that this has had some kind of a deleterious effect on firms or businesses well, taking more of the loans, right? Do you think that's why there's still money available or is it like well, a combination I, of yeah, factors? Yeah, I, I think there's a, there's a number of issues as to the availability mm -hmm. and then the questions that came up with regard to taking the loan in the first place in part because of ultimately what would be the public disclosure. You know, there were some very, let's call it draconian penalties associated with certifications that had to be included in the initial loan applications. And mm -hmm. I will tell you that the penalties and those certifications did get some people nervous because originally everybody, I think, said, great, free money. OK, and then and <laughs> right. then, so you know, that. hey, it's free money. It's manna from heaven. You know, why, why wouldn't we stick our hands out and catch it? But I think that upon reading the certifications, looking at what the penalties were associated with supplying any false information and really what you were certifying was that your business needed this loan in order to maintain payrolls and employment, yeah. right? Yeah. So you may have done a projection and, you know, think of a typical law firm. So most law firms operating on a cash basis, well, if this is coming through at the beginning of April, over the next few months, you're really collecting your accounts receivable. But firms expected that businesses would have problems, that cash would slow down, and that the biggest expectation and concern was that billable was going to change, right? Mm, yeah. So most firms, you know, really when doing their projections of what they expected, 
I think we're pretty comfortable with signing off on the certifications. Other firms, depending upon where your numbers are, you know, let's say you had a massive contingency case hit in the first quarter of the year, or you knew you were going to get paid on that in the second quarter of the year. And you now know that your numbers are certainly not going to be any worse than 19. You right. know, that gave firms pause. And yep. especially if you're a firm whose numbers are going to get released, because remember, the SBA piece doesn't necessarily include the income of the firm. But think of what's printed on the AMLAW 200. Remember, being able to tout how much your revenue has increased and how much your per partner profits, also PPP, just, you know, earlier version of PPP, your <laughs> right. per partner profits have increased is a massive marketing aspect to a firm in trying to attract top talent. And let's face it, before the pandemic hit it, and even, you know, to a certain extent still, everybody was out there pursuing the M&A people, the private equity people, you know, the litigation right. people, as well as, you know, once the pandemic was in view, chasing all the bankruptcy and workout people. So any firm that's able to show, you know, when the AMLAR 200, 100 reports their, their profitability, their revenue, that's a big marketing piece for right. them. So right. you got two things that are really going against each other because at the end of the day, a law firm is still a private firm. You could have a thousand partners, but it's still a privately held firm. However, mm -hmm. there is obviously certain public information that gets disclosed. And if you're a firm who's still showing, you know, huge numbers in terms of profits per partner, it may not so look so good to some of your clients or certain watchdog groups, you know, who's ever out there that right. you're still maintaining right. large profits and yet you were taking this loan. But again, Makes sense. you're, you're yeah. using the loan for the purpose it was intended to for, mm -hmm. which was to maintain employment. Let's shift gears a little bit and talk about the forgiveness part of this. You talked about free money before, right? Yep. Great if you take a PPP loan and it's ultimately forgiven, right? Yep. How does that all work and what do we know now about what that process is going to look like when it comes to pass? So the applications for the forgiveness dropped several weeks ago. And interestingly enough, the first application actually had come out on Friday, May 15th. And I remember that distinctly because I was giving a webinar to the New York City ALA on the 18th and had to completely redo the webinar over the weekend. <laughs> oh, that's the worst. <laughs> yes. But they now came out, you know, with two forms, an easy and a regular. And the easy is a really simple form. And yet the banks are still having major issues with both the applications and the processes themselves, including the whole aspect of the bank has 90 days to review, to submit to the SBA, for the SBA to basically reimburse them, which is ultimately what your forgiveness is going to be. Gotcha. And okay. right now, I know, I think it's uh, two of the major banks have indicated they're not happy with the process. They want to change. They're not expecting to have, you know, the online forgiveness applications available until August 15th or the middle of August, at least. Oh, boy. And that doesn't sound great. <laughs> well, it, it doesn't 
especially when you consider the fact there's a potentially 150-day review period. And mm. many firms want to kind of get this over and done with because they're also focusing on their financial statements. Yeah. And, and they're, they're worried about, you know, potentially timing differences, although at least we've gotten some guidance as of mid-June from the AICPA that provides a little bit of relief for that. But they are still, you know, they're, they're, they're anxious to get through this. And now we've, we also know that under the Flexibility Act, which had come out subsequently, they changed the requirements. So originally the period was an eight-week period. It's now yep. as much as 24 weeks, which makes wow. it pretty darn easy to get through your loan especially, you know, from the point of even if you're just using it for payroll costs, because right. your original right. loan was based on two months or two and a half months or just under 11 weeks of payroll. And now you can have up to 24 weeks. So, <laughs> you know, most of the firms will be able to certainly get through the full amount for purposes of forgiveness, providing that they haven't, you know, hit any of the other roadblocks, basically being salary reductions in excess of 25% mm -hmm. for those earning at 100,000 or less, and also a reduction in full-time equivalent employees, which could ultimately reduce the forgiveness. But even there, there are still questions because I may be spending far more in my covered, you know, forgiveness period than actually what I borrowed. And we still have a question of how that might interact with the full-time equivalent headcount as an offset. Right, and we'll talk about some of those issues coming up, but right now it sounds like a lot of this is TBD. So watch out for new information. A good amount, there are still questions, yes. And we would still yep. like example guidance, let's call yep. it, from the SBA and the Treasury. That makes sense. All right, we're gonna pause there, take our second break listen to some more words from our sponsors, and come on back for the last segment. Your legal work requires your full attention. So how can you build lasting relationships with new or existing clients while juggling your caseload? Try Abby Connect, the friendly, highly trained and motivated live receptionists who are well known for providing consistent quality customer service and support to law firms just like yours. Every connection matters. So call Abby Connect today at 833-ABBY-WOW to get started with your free 14-day trial and $95 off your first bill. Now more than ever, an effective marketing strategy is one of the most important things your law firm can have, and Scorpion can help. With nearly 20 years of experience serving the legal industry, Scorpion has proven methods to help you get the high-value cases you deserve. Join thousands of attorneys across the country who have turned to Scorpion for effective marketing and technology solutions. For a better way to grow your practice, visit scorpionlegal.com. All right, thanks for sticking with us. I never left. Now let's continue with Steve Lando of Anchin, who's been talking with us and walking us through the minefield of PPP loans. Let's find out more. All right, let's talk about some of these um, related trends that you mentioned previously. So firstly, what effect has PPP had on the current understanding of owner-employee compensation? You know, interestingly enough, New York Law Journal has certainly, you know, published, let's call it the review of firms. And they show, you know, let's say the AMLAW 100 and basically who has reduced payroll, right? Mm -hmm. 
who has actually laid off attorneys and staff, who's furloughed attorneys and staff, who has, you know, cut back their summer associate programs, et cetera. Well, by and large, many of those firms have taken the payroll protection program loans. Mm. And think of where they would be if they hadn't received those loans. Right. Okay. So we would be looking at a tremendous difference because let's face it, the M&A work has slowed, you know, it's fallen off a cliff. Absolutely. There's a tremendous amount of cash sitting out there with private equity firms, but everybody right now, we don't know where things are going to go, right? We don't know if October means a resurgence. Will we have the treatment by the time the resurgence starts? We won't have a vaccine potentially till 2021. What's that all going to mean, especially when you look today at 80% of the states are now spiking in terms of their cases? And Mm -hmm. where is that going to leave businesses, you know, down the road? So imagine where we would be without these loans with work having slowed, certainly in the second quarter. And that's work, not necessarily yet cash flow, but work slowing will turn into reduced cash flow. And most of that reduced cash flow will be happening after the PPP loans run out, which Mm. is why we've got Congress sitting there, you know, this week, currently negotiating on the next stimulus package. Right, right. Let's talk about a kind of a nitty gritty issue that I think as a tax person, you probably really enjoy, right? How about deductibility of expenses? related to loan forgiveness. Is that possible? So that's actually a great question. If you think about this, let's say you got the loan and the loan was taxable, right? Mm -hmm. And it's taxable and you therefore have tax deductible expenses. You got the cash, you picked up the income. It's basically a wash, right? Taxable income, tax deductible expenses. Great. The possibility after the act passed, which many of us were talking about, was basically the IRS coming out and saying, listen, this is tax-free income. If you have tax-free income, then any expenses related to it, think like expenses for carrying muni bonds, generating tax-exempt income. Mm -hmm. Well, expenses related to tax-exempt income are just not deductible. But again, if I have tax-exempt income and tax non-deductible expenses, I'm back to that zero wash. Well, Treasury ultimately did come out and say, no, this would be a double dipping if the income is tax exempt and the expenses were still deductible. Yet, it's clear in reading the provisions of the CARES Act, Congress put in a specific statement saying the intention was for the forgiven loans to be deemed tax exempt income. And if they didn't mean for a double dipping, why would they have had to have said that? Because obviously in the two cases, two examples I gave, you're at a net zero, right? So Treasury comes out with this and within 18 hours, the chairs of both the House and Senate Ways and Means Committees, along with several members of the tax writing sections, immediately came out and saying no tax authorities you have overstepped your authority. 
we meant this to be a double dip. We meant mm. this to be tax-exempt income, and we meant it to be deductible expenses, okay? Mm. Wow. Mnuchin comes out like that night saying, sorry, <laughs> this is how the law works. So if this is your intent, you need to change the law. Now we're months out already. <laughs> right. And this right. has gone through several proposals at this point, and yet nothing has been signed off on. And amongst the accounting profession, the real concern here is, is that when you look at some of these business, which you know we're seeing in the public, huge companies as getting these loans, Jared, I mean, yeah. now the aspect of double dipping, <laughs> right? Right. So Not a popular sentiment, I'm exactly. sure. Exactly. So you're starting to see some pushback to this in the Senate, which we already were. Mm. So we're hoping that potentially in this next round of legislation, that this will be addressed for that correction to be made as an exclusion for these purposes to continue to have the expenses as tax deductible, notwithstanding the forgiveness will be tax exempt. I gotta say, Steve, we're in dangerous territory. You're making tax sound exciting. I'm a little scared. As um, well you should be, my friends. <laughs> <laughs> I have one more question for you. Yeah, sure. Um, which you, which you kind of just alluded to. So do you think the PPP loan program is gonna continue to be available moving forward post the current deadline? And if not, do you see like other business rescue measures that the federal government might apply? Here's the thing. And, you know, obviously I'm in New York City, New York State. And, you know, here we were originally the epicenter of, you know, the United States, right? Let's right. let's go back to, to March. Let's go back to, to April. So we were the epicenter. My girlfriend who was supposed to come back from Switzerland was one not getting on a plane and two not coming back to New York looking at what was going on here. Well, <laughs> right. with the measures that, you know, in particular Cuomo took with regard to, to New York State, we're now probably in the best situation that we mm -hmm. could be. But look at what is transpiring within the rest of the country. Yep. And the problem we have now is if you speak to the major healthcare providers, I believe you will find they are expecting a resurgence come October. Right. That, I think that is that there's going to be well. almost no way to avoid that, especially because of the behavior that's being exhibited right now with people not wearing masks. Mm -hmm. Okay. Dense gatherings and no masks. And, and we're seeing what the results of that are throughout the United States. So if you think about it, if that resurgence does fully occur and the treatment is not available until, you know, somewhere after that resurgence, you're gonna, I think, see another crippling effect to the economy. Right. And if that's the case, then how could you not expect Congress to try and do an additional, you know, full measure with regard to what we already had through the CARES Act. And again, mm -hmm. funding becomes a question. At least right now, there's still approximately 130 billion left in the, in the PPP program. So, you know, that money is available. 
Will it get somewhat redeployed? The answer is they may change some of the criteria, but I wouldn't be shocked if we go into a full-on resurgence that you couldn't see an entire new program under the same parameters. And, you know, keep in mind, we haven't spoken about the uh, Main Street program, which was also mm -hmm. funded with, I think, $650 billion, which right. was for larger firms, you know, many of which would not have qualified for the PPP due to size. That program has barely been touched because of the fact of how onerous the compliance is with it. Yep. Yep. So it may be that that gets moved out of that program into funding for, you know, a similar PPP type mm -hmm. of situation. But I would almost have to expect that they would really, and, and again, let's see what comes out shortly from Congress with what they're looking to legislate. I expect they're going to extend the application deadline, you know, for, for one thing, especially yeah. with $130 billion still sitting there, and they may change the criteria. They, they may focus on much smaller businesses to prop them up. They may focus on, you know, minority situations. Could they focus, you know, particularly on the hospitality industry, hotels, as well as restaurants, which have just gotten clobbered due to right, this? Right, right, right. This was a lot. I'm starting to sweat. So I think we should end the show here. <laughs> so if we've reached the end of another episode of the Legal Toolkit Podcast, this is the one where we talked about the CARES Act and PPP loans. And we've been chatting with Steve Lando of Anchin. Now, I'll be back on future shows with further insights into my soul, the soul of America, or what's left of it, and the legal market. If you're feeling nostalgic for my dulcet tones, however, you can check out our entire show archive anytime you want at LegalTalkNetwork.com. So thanks again to Steve Lando of Anchin for making an appearance as my guest today. Steve, can you tell folks how they can find out more about you and about Anchin if they go online? We actually, on our website, which is the www.anchin website, you will actually see that we have a section which is really dedicated to COVID-19, okay? And it's really right at the forefront when you bring up the website, but you know, anything else that you wanna learn about the firm or myself, you know, you'll, you'll find it all there. And that's Anchin, A-N-C-H-I-N.com, right. correct. Right, so thanks again. Uh, our guest today, Steve Lando of Anchin. I appreciate him coming on the show today. Finally, thanks to all of you out there for listening. This has been the Legal Toolkit Podcast, where an Anchorman sequel never happened. It never happened. Thanks for listening to Legal Toolkit, produced by the broadcast professionals at Legal Talk Network. Join host Jared Correa for his next podcast covering the current business trends for law firms. If you'd like more information about today's show, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. Subscribe via iTunes and RSS. Find Legal Talk Network on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn, or download the free app from Legal Talk Network in Google Play and iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. 
None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Workers' Comp Matters is a podcast dedicated to exploring the laws, the landmark cases, and the true stories that define our workers' compensation system. I'm Judd Pierce, and together with Alan Pierce, we host a different guest each month as we bring to life this diverse area of the law. Join us on Workers' Comp Matters on the Legal Talk Network.